Welcome to the Visegrad Insight podcast on Central Europe from Central Europe. My name is Asia Metodieva. I am a researcher at the Institute of International Relations in Prague. I recommend Visegrad Insight because it offers high quality analysis on the Visegrad region. Hello, Visegrad Insight podcast listeners. It's the 7th of July, 2021. Uh, we are in a studio in Warsaw, but also in the UK and in Czechia, uh, connecting with our fellows today to talk about uh, the 3Cs initiative as the summit in Bulgaria is happening any moment now. And uh, also about the state of online terrorism. My name is Wojciech Przybylski. I'm joined by Kamil Jarończyk, Malik Banat, Asia Metodieva and Marysia Ciupka. Let's begin. Kamil, we have just released the new report 3C's Initiative 2025 with scenarios towards the 3SI Civil Society Forum. Uh, we'll devote a considerable amount of time on this podcast to explain the key elements of the report. But let's explain first what the 3C's Initiative is all about. The Three Seas Initiative is an initiative started by the 12 countries of Eastern, Central Eastern Europe, um, including Austria, which it was started in 2016 by Poland and Croatia, um, the presidents of Pro Poland and Croatia. It is a presidential forum that happens yearly. Uh, the, uh, the point of the initiative is, uh, to, uh, is to develop Uh, the infrastructure and connectivity between the Central Eastern European countries of the European Union, uh, therefore fulfilling the European Union's main goal of cohesion. Uh, that is the basis of the three C's and the three points of uh, the three points uh, that are most uh, important for the three C's initiative are digital, uh, tra uh, transport, and energy. Uh, digital meaning 5G and other um, and, and other internet uh, uh, infrastructure and energy being uh, gas pipelines um, uh, between uh, and interconnectivity of uh, gas in the region. Excellent. And where is the money? Where is uh, where is the uh, funding coming from? I think this is all all the big question. Is it EU money or is there something else? Um, uh, yes, uh, every uh, the question on everyone's mind. Uh, while um, while of course uh, there's a lot of um, hum about the Three Seas Initiative investment fund, which is actually a private investment fund uh, located in Luxembourg. Um, the investment fund is not expected to uh, is not expected to cover more than 10% of the uh, funding for all the projects of the three C's initiative. In fact, 41% of the funding is supposed to come from the European Union due to the fact that a lot of the priority projects of the three C's initiative are actually covered by the European Union as well uh, at, under their uh, trans-European networks for transport energy. As well, um, these um, this money is covered by the CEF uh, connecting Europe facility, as well as cohesion funds, due to the fact that uh, most of the member states of the three SI are also eligible for cohesion funds due to their uh, lower GDP on average than Western Europe. Uh, so, um, so majority of the money is supposed to be EU, but the investment fund is an interesting uh, development within the Three Cs initiative. And the investment fund is a drop uh, 
in the ocean of needs, which are estimated, uh, also I think we mentioned that in the report, to about $500 billion uh, for the whole region in terms of investment gap, in terms of how much investment the region needs in order to go on with unprecedented uh, performance. Let me now go to the four scenarios that were developed through throughout the workshops and explain what are the scenarios ahead of the Three Cs initiative? Uh, the initiative has started in particular uh, 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 transatlantic context, where we had uh, the presidency of, of Donald Trump, a particular one, you know, very very important for the Three Cs initiative, but at the same time, uh, well, full of at least let's say nuances when it comes to uh, to how it impacted. Uh, also the perception of of the uh, of the initiative um, there are four scenarios as I mentioned and now with the new presidency across the pond uh, and with several years into the uh, into the uh, the, the development of the initiative itself um, we see a couple of uh, possibilities uh, all plausible to a similar extent in our uh, minds. So one is segregated generations, regionally segregated generations. We can imagine, and as the election time is uh, on in all across Europe, but in Central Europe in particular, important to mention that the Bulgarian summit is taking place exactly on the same weekend when Bulgaria is having early elections um, after unconclusive elections a couple of months ago. There is a, there is a dynamic in the region which um, which is uh, undermining the unity of the bloc the behind the initiative behind uh, the whole prospects of of, of bringing uh, three C's to a successful completion. I mean the, pro the, the the initiative is going on, but depending on the political leadership in particular countries, and some of them haven't pledged their full support yet, Slovakia. Uh, Czechia and Austria, uh, there might be, uh, you know, unfinished business when it comes to the funds, to the potential, to also to geographical space. Uh, I mean, you cannot have a hole in the middle of the region that wants to present itself as a, as a united platform for investment and uh, connectivity and cohesion. And with this moving onwards, uh, we may see the three C's initiative split into several different regional groups, uh, you know, sub-regional groups in, in the region, and this being unfulfilled, largely also because of uh, not so big involvement of the experts, civil society influencers, the media in establishing grounds for common understanding of what the three C's initiative is. So the end result of a segre uh, regionally segregated generations is that the three C's initiative doesn't take off to, to, you know, to a full degree, full potential, and the investment uh, that is expected is not arriving in full. There is already some money secured, or, but, but there might not be all of it. And the second scenario is Texas of Europe, as we call it, and it tells the story of of the whole region driven and the whole initiative driven by, by a growing sense of being separate or uh, in parallel to the European integration. And we should not uh, forget that these 
trends, these political narratives are quite strong. Uh, there is a sense of, of building not a European uh, strategic autonomy, but also of the regional strategic autonomy, which may simply go uh, weird places. Uh, this initiative that um, that we see recently by several political leaders of the far right seem to emphasize the economic elements of, of uh, European uh, cohesiveness and development and downplay any political integration. Now, we can imagine that with the three Cs, this can be developed to a large extent as you know economic space, but to a lesser extent as a, a political integration, politically integrated space, which again we believe would hamper investment and hamper the, the potential of the three SI for the region and for the whole of Europe. The third scenario is exactly the opposite. I mean, we have heard a lot of discussion and a lot of ideas from the experts we've gathered throughout our exercise, um, speaking about the European potential. And we see already a lot of interest from European partners and the European Union itself in the initiative as a way to attract investment and to reorient the narrative about global interest in Europe from responsibility and peace project to opportunity future investment. Um, this may coincide with something that the 3SI is also looking at as a possibility of becoming a European Union macro regional strategy. And there are quite a few already of such several strategies, four to be precise, a Baltic, Alpine, uh, Adriatic and Danube regions, uh, uniting uh, development strategies between several governments. It, these are predominantly sectoral technical cooperations on, on several issues, uh, also related to transportation, but also uh, building uh, the, the development plans uh, with understanding of transnational interdependence. Now, it seems 3SI is exactly an initiative that could fit a macro-regional format, uh, a format to be approved by European Council, um, and um, a format that could bring, uh, in addition, something new to the table. Uh, the other regional formats, macro-regional formats, are predominantly technical cooperation, sectoral cooperation, with 3SI becoming a macro-regional format. It would bring an added value in the form of political support because, as you pointed out, Camille, there is the presidential format that uh, is at the core of, of, of this initiative. It has a political, not only umbrella, but leadership uh, that, that drives the initiative forward. And then there is a four format, four, four scenario. The scenario number four is all about uh, China bites, Russia stinks, the global context. The name of the scenario, China bites, Russia stinks, tells the story of, um, of external factors that influence 3SI. And as we see the, uh, the global context uh, is predominantly between US and China or the West and China, we see at the same time that as tensions rise and this conflict becomes hotter, certain countries in the region again, like Hungary, uh, maybe some more, where China puts an eye on them uh, within the 17 plus one initiative, may be tempted to go you know, in this 
format that we've seen before in the in the style of multivectoral foreign policy, playing on several pianos at the same time, seeking to ensure that they get the money what no matter what, no matter what the democratic cost is also uh, internally and for the region. Now, we see that in such a case, uh, the region from would turn from an investment opportunity to uh, to a region of that that needs to be micromanaged even uh, by addressing specific problems and dilemmas and would draw uh, attention to the region by by exemplifying by by emphasizing um, some of the uh, problems and hurdles on the diplomatic side or strategic side like bringing in more investment from china uh, in the times exactly of, of global tensions and then eu or us uh, will need to address those as we actually see this is happening so within the space of the next four years um the current administration uh, in the US to be considered about this, this can become a, a serious issue, serious problem. Now, um, we, we gathered, th these are four scenarios, but, but we gathered um, in the report awfully a lot of data. And I, I thought, Camille, uh, that you could tell us uh, some, some highlights of, um, of what sort of data have, been, have you, we been looking at um, when designing scenarios and when discussing uh, you know, uh, different risks related to the region. Could you give us a bit, couple of highlights of, of what's there uh, for the 3Cs initiative in terms of numbers? It was uh, hard to choose from since there was such a plethora, but uh, some interesting uh, data that we uh, have um, is uh, that uh, some, po some positive is that uh, the average ease of doing business is actually uh, quite high within the region at 76.53, which is uh, close to the average of the OECD and higher, uh, much higher than the world average. Um, uh, but um, it's not all rosy in the region. Um, for example, um, uh, media literacy on average is quite low within the region, with the two lowest levels in the EU being Romania and Bulgaria, both three SI countries. Um, also, there's the sad statistic that five countries scored less than 50 points on the Corruption Perception Index. Um, which is actually three countries more being lower than 50 uh, uh, since 2015, um, which was only Romania and Bulgaria before. Um, and one of the saddest statistics is a 0.42 drop um, in civil society participation in Poland from the high, uh, highest in the region uh, of 0.91 to 0.49, which is uh, quite low. Uh, since 2015, uh, yes, those are a few. Yeah, the the last statistics is indeed uh, quite worrisome. It uh, the, that data has been um, extracted from the reports by in, uh, the Institute of. Uh, uh, democracy and electoral assistance idea in short and uh, it was a rational for a lot of our deliberation on the recommendations and the the recommendations uh, stemming from the report and then we put them even on the front of the report is uh, predominantly towards the 3SI civil society forum 
Um, maybe I'll just brief a couple of those and then uh, anyone interested will will read them on our site and in the PDF to be downloadable from uh, from our site. The uh, first uh, item on the agenda is democratic security. I mean, it's no surprise Visegrad is standing behind this. Uh, we believe that uh, investment is hampered by uh, democratic insecurity and we have some data to support that to show also that uh, investors' uh, easiness of, 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 of putting money in the, uh, in the countries that on the long run are in the negative trajectory about democratic security is, um, well, they're less incentivized to do so. Then the second part is what we, what we put into several points, but under a big headline of 3CSI Civil Society Forum is an idea that civil society organizations but also influencers, independent, independently of, of whether they are members of civil society or not, need to come together. I mean, f- to 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 mend several gaps in 3SI thinking. One of the discovery we have uh, made uh, throughout our research is that in many of those countries that belong to the initiative, there are virtually none experts that even know, you know, dealing with foreign policy and foreign affairs and development, democratic security, not to, not to mention that, that would clear, could clearly explain what 3SI is all about. There's a lot of skepticism about neo-imperial ambitions of Poland, which unfortunately we also see and we need to address uh, about the narratives about the 3SI. But importantly, there is a, there is a big gap in terms of what we know and what the, what what general public in the 3SI countries knows about 3SI that undermines um, the prospects of you know long-term investment and involvement in the initiative so the 3SI um, civil society forum is as a code name is a brand name for a set of actions that uh, we recommend to take bottom up uh, to build up the expert groups, uh, to build up uh, media awareness and also fight with misperceptions and disinformation about the 3SI. There are also elements that civil society do best, which is flagging corruption, flagging uh, misuse um, and participating also in governance. The big issue, the big problem that you highlighted, Camille, just a moment ago, to ensure that investment, which are planned within 3SI, are, again, planned well enough for long-term goals and objectives, and they do not meet uh, and produce social resistance that in the longer run would undermine 3SI initiative and, and, the whole, uh, and the whole project and involvement in it from the point of view of individual countries. Now, another point is uh, the, the question of, this, of the organizations that, uh, and influencers, independent activists that uh, could work together on the 3SI and should work together on the 3SI platform independently of being involved or not involved in those summits, in the, in the works of, of the summit. There is obviously a lot to do in terms of interconnectedness of people who work in think tanks, in civil society organizations, as, as we mentioned, independent ones, uh, those who who are uh, often, you know, they're not uh, mentioned in the official statistics, but they are building up the civil society in the region. 
to work together more to establish transnational formats. And I think that 3SI is, is an excellent opportunity uh, to talk about it, how much more we can achieve together regardless of being involved or not. But of course, the last point on this uh, on this section um, on, or under this heading of the 3SI Society Forum, Civil Society Forum, is to be involved in the summits, is to have a say when politicians and business or economic actors meet to also have civil society voices present so they are not forgotten uh, and they are not, uh, you know, not forgotten, not just for the sake of be- being there, but they bring in input to ensure that strategic goals of 3SI are met. Finally, uh, there is the opportunity for Europe. I think it was explained in scenario number three, uh, three on the um, in scenario number three on macro regional strategy. It's an opportunity for Europe and we see the 3SI uh, that needs to make European Union partners and European Union institutions aware of the opportunity. I think we see a lot of that and we, we have seen a lot of endorsement from different uh, countries and institutions becoming either observers or being more involved in the summits, seeking opportunity also for themselves as an investment opportunity but overall, also changing the narratives about Europe from peace and responsibility to opportunity and investment uh, place on the map of global investment. Um, the, the last point then also concerns the Polish narratives, both of us being Polish. We hear that quite a lot. And sometimes we're even not sensitive enough to how much the Polish narrative is sometimes so much misplacing 3SI, you know, placing it in historical, you know, memory politics, which is not the place 3SI belongs to. Um, there is a lot of talk about Jagiellonian Poland. There is a lot of talk about this intermarium, all the concepts of the past, you know, some of them reaching medieval times, some of them uh, coming from the before the wars, uh, Europe before the wars. And they were also failures by, uh, you know, by the leaders uh, who, 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 who developed those concepts like Piłsudski. They were thought not to be the concepts uh, that would really work. So uh, this Poland footprint in the initiative needs to be very carefully measured and applied by Poland itself, Polish leaders, in terms of language, in terms of avoiding uh, the misperception and building on misperception of the three cis initiative. So it is really forward, future-oriented, uh, forward-looking and future-oriented initiative. And, and it's not uh, feeding um, some sort of um, sentimental um, past projects and um, and ultimately uh, disenchanting several partners, the closest neighbors to Poland uh, from involvement. So yeah, this is it. Uh, that's uh, that's uh, all about the report. I mean, that we could say in this podcast and otherwise we encourage you to subscribe and download. If you're already subscribed, then simply go to our report section and, and download the report. Camille, uh, anything else to add? Uh, no, Wojciech, I think everything uh, we wanted to say outside of the report has been. And uh, I look uh, forward to hearing the feedback um, as uh, we include uh, our emails as well. So if uh, you have anything to say about the report or something in the report, uh, we'd be happy to hear it. Exactly. Thank you, Camille, so much. And uh, uh, do uh, do download and subscribe to our Visegrad Insights um, service and, and, and download the report. 
uh, and give us your thoughts on the three cis initiative future in 2025. Take part in shaping Visegrad Insights future topics, podcasts, and discussions. Join one of our special editorial board meetings and help us shape the future of Visegrad Insight. Check your mailbox. And if you haven't received an invitation yet, become one of our annual subscribers. We're connecting now London and Prague in a conversation between Malik Banat and Asya Matodieva, both our fellows, who speak about an article Asya has written and published recently at Visegrad Insight. Greetings to all listeners of this week's podcast. I'm here today with Asya Metodieva, a researcher at the Institute of International Relations in Prague, and of course, our very own fellow here at Visegrad Insight. Now, Asa, your latest piece on combating terrorism online starts off by saying that while the V4 have not fallen victim to any major terrorist incidents in the last decades, the region's positioning in between Western Europe and the Balkans make it a transit location for terrorist engagement. The nature of terrorist transactions is becoming increasingly online, which, as you point out, greatly complicates the ability to track suspicious behavior. So given the challenge... What measures have been taken against terrorist financing via the web? And how well have the V4 collaborated inside the grouping as well as with other countries? Yeah, this is a very complicated question. And I think it's a challenge not only for the countries in the region, but also uh, for for the European Union. And um, first, internally at a national level, the institutions we, we have, and second, externally and how we... Uh, collab- collaborate and uh, how institutions actually exchange information. So countries of the Visegrad 4 rely on um, more or less similar, the so-called financial intelligence units uh, that deal with uh, the analysis and also the transmission of uh, suspicious reports concerning money transfers. Uh, and the importance of, of uh, these uh, units particularly reflects their ability to cooperate with, with foreign partners, with foreign counterparts. Um, and this, of course, foster international compar- cooperation. So the bigger, uh, the biggest problem, I would say, is still the uh, exchange of information among countries in the region and also access to information uh, networks such as uh, Europol or Interpol. I think that um, there is a lot to be said about uh, trust, um, both internally and externally, and how um, how these units collaborate, for instance, with investigative um, um, institutions uh, in the region, to what extent they trust each other, to what extent uh, there is like politics involved. Um, there is a recent report by, by Globsec um, uh, that shows that there is an increased awareness of risks related to the financing of terrorism. And the Visegrad uh, 4, they have more or less similar approaches, as I said, to countering terrorist financing, as well as uh, money laundering. The biggest and the new challenge uh, is uh, how to deal with uh, crypto payments, the so-called crypto payments, which are a new way to easily exchange uh, money. and. More specifically, how to identify transfers of funds uh, for the purpose of terrorism funding. 
And don't get me wrong, it's not about the technology because we, we hear about uh, cryptocurrencies uh, all the time in the news. The problem is how to track these payments and specifically the payments done to support terrorist activities. And in fact, transparency, uh, transparency highly de depends on uh, the united efforts of the national institutions. As I said, internal cooperation first and then external cooperation. When it comes to monitoring and censoring terrorist content online, you describe the approach taken by Warsaw and Budapest as a liberal rebranding. Can you elaborate a little bit more on what that means? Um, if you remember January 6th this year, we know what happened um, in, in the US, uh, the, the violence which was committed there and the reaction uh, that came from um, the big social media companies uh, with suspending the, the account of Donald Trump. So this was, let's say, the, the, the particular situation, the specific moment when um, Poland and Hungary decided to engage with, with this uh, debate or, and to participate in the, in the conversation about um, social media moderation. So they proclaimed themselves as freedom of speech guardians despite um, implementing a systematic crackdown on their own media and civil rights groups for years. And um, back then Budapest and Warsaw came up with the idea to launch their own social media platforms to oppose the censorship of mainstream global tech companies. Again, with the reference of um, the suspended account of, of the former U.S. President Donald Trump. Uh, the Polish conservative um, government back then proposed social media companies um, to be fined for removing polls that do not break the Polish law, for instance. Um, likewise, the Hungarian, um, the Hungarian right-wing uh, a hand up um, it's 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 a social media platform um, promoted but was promoted as a, as a free speech alternative to the mainstream platforms again like in both Poland and Hungary uh, we had this um, alternative social media pro projects but the problem is that tackling extremist content on social media is a particularly sensitive topic in the context of, of free speech and when you have countries uh, which which have systematic problems uh, with um, uh, suppressing freedom of speech um, prosecuting journalists we cannot expect that these countries can be uh, in fact guardians of uh, any alternative um, social media platforms and let's say spaces where where uh, like freedom of speech is defined in a new way. Uh, moreover, the creation of um, I would say right-wing friendly platforms in the Visegrad 4 raises questions about gray zones in content moderation. The reality is that Extremist users or groups produce various forms of content and some of them do not make any any reference uh, to violence uh, nor do they incite hate. And again, going back to the question, since we don't have very, very clear definitions, these gray zones can be used for political purposes in the Visegrad countries. In the end, your recommendation to the V4 countries is to adopt a cohesive and internationally accepted policy when countering terrorism online. How might that look like? Certainly, it should be based. This such policy should be based on um, enhanced regional cooperation, which means um, more information sharing, 
regarding uh, financing of terrorism, regarding um, social media regulation, shared definitions, as I said, also uh, more communication with, with, uh, with Brussels and compliance with the framework which uh, has been discussed at the EU level. Because I think is what is crucial for the region is to learn from countries which have real problems with, with, with terrorism and terrorist-related activities. As we um, discussed in the very beginning of our conversation, the Visegrad 4 is not the most affected um, region in Europe by, by terrorist activities. For this purpose, I think that um, what is really, um, what it will be useful for um, policymaking in the region is to learn from best practices and also to to work uh, towards more compliance with the framework discussed in Brussels. I hope you enjoyed uh, listening to our uh, guest speakers today and to uh, the reports, the highlights of the reports that we featured. Today's podcast has been brought by Kamil Jaronczyk, Malek Panat, Asia Metodieva, Marysia Czupka and myself, Wojciech Przybylski. Thank you very much.